It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. There was a great article in the Morningstar magazine. What was that, Deborah? It was regarding planning for a near retirement couple. Actually, I think I remember that article. It was a, a key set of facts that was sort of interesting. Morningstar Magazine uh, is not well known to the listening public. Morningstar, of course, is. Uh, everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people know that Morningstar is an independent third-party evaluator uh, most well-known for evaluating mutual funds. And I would say they've really become popular because of being... Uh, referenced as a a solid third-party analyzer of mutual funds for many, many years, probably 30 or 40 years now. You're right, uh, Deborah, and and we see them when clients come to us with 401ks, very often behind one of their investment choices will be a Morningstar analysis. analysis. But the, uh, the, the magazine itself doesn't generally go to people that are out there. It does go to advisors, of course. And I think I, think I did see <clears throat> that there was a couple with $1.8 million in their retirement kitty. I think their names were Ed and Joanne. And you wouldn't think they'd have a lot to worry about when it comes to funding the next phase of their lives. Uh, do you remember how old? Uh, yes, Ed is 68. Right. And he hopes to retire by year end, while Joanne, on the other hand, is 60. And she's aiming to retire two years from now. And with Social Security payments in the future, along with a small pension for Ed, they are hoping to cover most of their couples uh, of this couple's daily living expenses. Yeah, you'd think that that, that would be fine. Of course, Ed's 68 years old. He could be taking Social Security now. That's right. That's correct. But if he holds off another uh, year and a half or more, he'll get the highest. So he's already figured it out that the two of them together, they're going to be able to have a nice guaranteed income coming from Social Security and a small pension. Uh, but it's really interesting that although they saw this and they had accumulated $1.8 million, you'd think they're fine, but that's not in their mind. Because Ed writes to Morningstar and says a bigger issue for them is balancing the maximization of life with the fear of outliving their funds or their money. And so what do you think he meant by maximizing life? 
Well, probably in their horizon is a lot more traveling in retirement. That's exactly right. You know, a lot of people are that way. They're diligent. Uh, they 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 save diligently all the way through. They wait to retirement. They hold back. Uh, and now let's travel. But Ed acknowledged that travel to some destinations is not going to come cheaply. So he wants to know from Morningstar, how can he and Joanne craft a retirement plan that's going to enable them to take maximum advantage of the years when they're both healthy, able to travel, and still ensure that their retirement money is not going to run out if they expect 25 years or more like this. So um, this is a, a dilemma for them, isn't it? It's a dilemma for them, and it's funny because so many times they come into our office, and uh, we see it one way, but more, more importantly is the way they see it, and they see this is a big problem, a big dilemma. Now, you have to remember, Social Security, for the two of them, is going to be $61,000 a year, and his pension is going to be another 11000 That means they've already got... uh, $72,000 a year coming in in guaranteed income, and they have already figured out their living expenses, their recurring living expenses will be almost covered by this. Sounds like a good base to their plan then. It sounds like a great base to their plan, Deborah. You're exactly right. So the Morningstar writer, to help address the sustainability of their desired portfolio, uh, rate of withdrawal started by doing something I think very wise. What do you think he might have done? So looked at taxes. Looked at taxes. So if we know we have uh, a, a, an estimated tax need every year, what is that going to be? That's right. And so you take that tax need, I'm sorry, you take the living expense need and then the taxes as a haircut. And when he started doing that, he then approached it the way a Morningstar writer would approach it. However, I didn't like the way it was approached. Well, up until this point, they've shaped up to be almost like every couple who comes into our office and says, okay, can you tell me how I'm doing? That's right. You know, uh, we, we get this question as a baseline on pretty much every first visit with any couple who is nearing retirement or planning for retirement. And they say, okay, here's what I have. How is it shaping up? That's right. Now, how many mutual funds were in this client's portfolio when they wrote in to Morningstar? Well, surprisingly, they had 21 funds. They had 21 funds. And so Morningstar, of course, analyzed each of the funds and its likelihood of being able to sustain a certain type of withdrawal rate. I'll tell you what I don't like about that. That's not the way that I would do it. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. The way I would do it would, first of all, realize that something is going to go wrong. Yes, it always does. It always does. Every section or segment of the industry in the investment world we know has a story, a scar, something has gone wrong. That's right. That's right. Something is going to go wrong and we have to go ahead and realize it. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And you know, Linda, I would say that this couple in the Morningstar magazine 
fits the category of what we call a middle class millionaire. A middle class millionaire. Absolutely. All right. They're millionaires. We see that on a piece of paper. On a piece of paper, they have middle class values. They've accumulated. They've uh, they they've been they've held their expenses diligently and yet accumulating. Mm -hmm. That's right. They are still worried. That's right. Unfortunately, Morningstar did not say you should visit a certified financial planner who will be able to help you see as things go wrong in the future or change in the future that you need to have your portfolios readjusted to meet your needs. And certainly 21 funds is not the way to go ahead and do it. So anyway, I think we'll leave the article. The way we do it at Lewis Financial Management is very different uh, than uh, looking at every fund that a client comes into and seeing how that fund is doing. But I think it's a good introduction to all of our listeners as to, you know, who is the type of person who calls after the show on Sunday night uh, that Deborah or Linda or Doug will talk to and um, leaves a message and or that Linda or Deborah will talk to the next day in regard to setting up an appointment. And it's very interesting, and I agree with you, Debs, that um, there are so many people that are working in the Carolinas. And whether you're working for a large company, if you're working for the state, if you're self-employed, or if you're working for one of the universities, or you know, you own your own business, whatever the situation is, people are saving. And people are realizing it's time to consider what are the issues and concerns that I have in my personal situation as I'm considering retirement, some folks uh, how maybe, to formulate a plan becomes really important. It, it becomes the topic of conversation, at least in our office. Definitely, here's, you know, here's what I have here, or here's what I want to have, and uh, it's important to work with someone that's competent that can give you advice and help you. You know, this past week we were, I think, pleased to be able to give out several copies of Middle Class Millionaires to clients that yes. have heard us on the air and come in for appointments. Let's take a call. I think we've got Marty on hold now, and let's see how Marty is doing and what's his issue. Evening, Marty. This is Doug Lewis, Deborah Lewis, Linda Lewis. How can we help you this evening? Hi, guys. Yeah, I have a question. I have some, I have bond funds that have taken a haircut. They're down 5%. And I'm considering pulling out of those funds and going into laddered bonds or getting into one of the new um, iShares that have laddered bonds. Uh, I'm wrestling with this because on the one hand, Folks have said, well, if you just wait until the maturation of the bonds in your fund, uh, you'll come out even. <laughs> however, however, they keep the, the, the nav keeps dropping. Right. And uh, by the way, whoever told you that forgot to tell you that the manager of the bond fund does not keep the funds until maturity. He sells them when he wants to sell them. And so rarely do you see a bond fund manager hold their bonds all the way into maturity. He's talking about a unit investment trust, which we don't like anyway. So you're exactly right. Now tell me a little bit about yourself, Marty. How old are you? 
I'm 68. 68 years old, married or single? Uh, widowed for a year. I'm so sorry. Only for a year? Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wow. Uh, tell me a little bit about your finances, Marty. You're widowed. Uh, I presume you have no uh, other dependents living at home other than yourself? And a cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me about your finances. Uh, are you receiving, are you working or are you receiving Social Security? I'm receiving Social Security and I'm also re- receiving a couple of pensions. Pensions. All right. Okay. What's, okay. We call that the guaranteed income. What's the guaranteed income uh, totaling? Guaranteed uh, income is about seventy thousand. Seventy thousand. All right. Now seventy eight thousand. Oh, you're very close to the couple we just read about in Morningstar. Okay, seventy eight thousand. Yeah. yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it sounds like you. I was yeah. listening to that and I said, Hey, that's right. That's <laughs> All right. Okay, now let's go over to your investment portfolio. What do you have in non retirement investments first? Non retirement and that would be yeah that would be anything that's not in an ira 401k or any uh, tax qualified plan i have about um six hundred thousand all right six hundred thousand in non-qualified plan money and what do you have in qualified money uh nine thousand what did i say no i have six hundred uh six hundred thousand in the in one and Nine hundred thousand in the other. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you are very close. That's one. That's a million four, and this couple here had a million had a had a million eight. Okay. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, let me ex- let me begin by answering your question uh, by uh, first identifying your lifestyle needs. Uh, what do you uh, what do you what are your desired living expenses? Pretty close to what I bring in. Okay. Um, I would Around seventy eight or. Yeah, I would say that with uh, my new plans for traveling and every deficit of, I'm guessing, I'm going to give myself a liberal guess of $40,000. Okay, and after taxes, I see what you're saying. It it sounds very similar to the couple that was in Morningstar. You're able to cover your your recurring expenses, but now we have to deal with what about the wish list expenses much of which is going to be travel and all the other non-monthly items. You got it. Okay. So, first of all, you don't want to make the mistake of jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And that is what would happen if you go from a bond portfolio of mutual funds to laddered bonds. That's not what you want to do. Because what is ha- what will happen then is you will, one by one, watch those bonds which are giving an income to you, you'll watch them mature and either deplete or you'll see the value of them being so miserable, you'll say, I can't handle this anymore because their value will also on the secondary market be no good. That's not the way you want to do it. You want to go ahead and have an overall asset allocation model. This is, of course, what we do in our office with the clients every day. We design an overall asset allocation model. It may have no bonds or bond funds in it. That depends on what the client's is, but what the client's goals are. But what you want is a portfolio that you can be comfortable will continue to grow with the least risk and be able to give you the income needs that the wish list says is expected. 
And you want to do that by looking at the managers. The managers of funds are far crucial. You don't want to go into individual laddered bonds. Then you're the expert. And guess what? When anybody says he's the expert, turns out that uh, he is usually mistaken. And it's going to be a tragedy down the road. And then number two, you don't want to go into passive investing, which is what would be with bond ETFs and uh, bond index funds and things like that. You want active management, which means you want to find managers who can give you the comfort that they have, number one, exceeded their indexes for the last 10 or 15 years, including going through the worst case, which would be maybe 2008 or 2002. You want to be able to see see them. And you also want these managers to be ones who are still managing. And then you want to go ahead and design the portfolio around them. We are very much against passive investing. We are very much in favor of active investing, but active investing based upon fundamental research, not timing strategies. Does, does that help make it any sense at all, Marty? It sure does. If you will go ahead and call us at the office. 919-872-7000. That, okay. That's our office number. And of course, make sure you go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. Just the whole thing spelled out, DougAndLinda.com. You will see a lot more about us. As Deborah said, call the office, schedule a meeting to meet with us. It won't be a free meeting, but you will come away saying, wow, I really got my money's worth. Now I understand. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for calling, Marty, and you have a wonderful week. You too. All right. Thanks for calling. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. There was a very interesting article about what does it take to be wealthy? You know, Linda. To have $5 million. Well, Linda, that was really interesting because I really like the fact that our first article that we discussed was from Morningstar. And that was a plan. And to the most listeners and the most people look, looking at that couple, they would have no problems. But that couple was concerned. And then came Marty's call. And Marty fit that profile perfectly. And he's concerned. And so there was, as you said, Linda, there was a survey recently. And this survey was a very interesting survey. It was reported in a uh, news. Is this a newsletter, Deborah, called Financially Fit? Well, no, the, the, there wasn't a survey. It was, it, was an, it was basically the author of this article basically saying that um, what it, well, that, that, yes, then you're right. There, there was an article about a survey right. that was saying people wondered what people wondered or wonder, <laughs> people wondered what people thought would be wealthy, considered wealthy. Yeah, so so it's very simple to say, what's a millionaire? I mean, then nobody, you don't need a, a, to be a rocket scientist to say, what a millionaire is a person who's got a million dollars, right? That's right. So the survey contacted over 4,000 millionaires to ask them, are you wealthy? What do you think? Are you wealthy was the, was the survey. And a whopping 70% of those with at least a million dollars in investable assets reported they don't consider themselves to be wealthy at all. 
And so this is really interesting. What do we call that when they come into our office? We, we see, we've been seeing these type of people for 30 years. What do we say? Well, we, we always say that that is how it feels. That's the dilemma of success. That's right. So yet on paper, you are you look successful and yet you're still worried. Or am I going to outlive my money? Did I save enough? Will I have enough? Will I continue to have enough? What's going to happen? This is that dilemma of success. And this survey amongst these millionaires came to that same conclusion. They are not considering themselves wealthy at all. No more was Marty. No more was the article of the, the couple in Morningstar. That's right. And But then the question was, well, when do they peop- do people really feel they are wealthy? And that was when they hit the $5 million mark. Only then did they begin to feel wealthy. And that was interesting. Uh, other things that came out of the survey were that in addition to feeling like no, like, like, like money is no object to those who have $5 million or more, most wealthy people are more confident about investing if they hold a decent amount in cash for emergency funds. Does that sound like something we recommend every day? Absolutely. And I think that's where the comfort comes in and some of the worrying starts going away when you have a plan and it begins with, you know, building a, a, an emergency fund. And having the comfort that you have um, a comfortable income to support you while you're in retirement or while you're like Marty, where you're planning on traveling more. And in some cases, uh, in some families, maybe it's gifting strategies. All those things are factored into the comfort level, right, Linda? Exactly. But uh, and this isn't part of the survey, but it's it's my you know I think from what we've seen with some of our clients and some of the uh, listeners that have come to our office is that uh, people that are in retirement are concerned about health care costs. You're listening to WPTF Raleigh. So. This article, reporting this survey, really interesting. Only do millionaires feel they're wealthy when they hit the $5 million mark. Only do millionaires feel that they are comfortable when they have a good emergency fund in cash. Also, the survey asked the respondents not to include their homes, and I like that. That's really good advice because we need to take out the use assets, the things that we're not going to sell or be able to consider for an investment stream for our retirement years. That's right. You know, that anything that can be invested and used to produce an income stream, that's going to be our investment assets. Our, our home are, is a use asset. Very good, Deborah. I, I, I really like the way that they approached it and they, they were hitting right on target with what is our experience for many years in our office with the clients that call our office for appointments and so on. I am so proud of you, Deborah. Thanks. <laughs> so, Linda, what do you think? What do you think these respondents felt about the economy? Well, majority. Go ahead, Linda. Oh well, a ma- majority of respondents are optimistic about the economy and also about their personal financial situations over the long term. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The majority of these respondents were optimistic about the economy, and they were not too worried about the Federal Reserve and things like that. So I thought that was really interesting. We know dilemma of success are those who come to us, they're middle-class millionaires. On paper, they have accumulated over a million dollars generally, but by the same token, they don't feel that they're fine. They want help. I would say the second largest group of people who call in are definitely the ones who are saying, 
I am getting close to having a, uh, uh, a million dollars of investable assets, and I want to make sure that I'm on the right track towards retirement. There's another type of client that comes to us that I'm really impressed with these days, more and more of the younger set that want to absolutely, reach it. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's because once you start looking at your financial situation as two pockets on one pair of pants, you've got your retirement assets and then everything you've squirreled away on the personal side, the stuff that's held in your own name outside of a retirement plan. Very quickly, over 20 to 25 years, you can start, if you've been diligent, seeing that million dollar mark come very, very much into sight. That's exactly right. And if right. you've still got another 15 to 20 years of to work, you're in your 40s, you're looking at it, you know that you need, that you have, you have you have re- you have crossed that first hurdle. You have become a diligent spender on both the retirement side and on the personal side, but yet you don't want you don't have that confidence that you're not going to be worried. Just like the couple in this article, and just like this man calling in, am I going to be able to make it? And a lot of it is more than just accumulating a million dollars. For those folks that are still young and have those years in front of them, of course, we give them another book called The Wealthy Barber. Absolutely. Focusing on pay yourself first. You can make it. You can make it early. You may be able to reach financial independence by the time you're in your late 40s. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Joyce, are you there? How can I help you? This is Doug Lewis. Hi, Mr. Lewis. Uh, my question is this. If you have the funds to pay a vehicle off, it, would it still be profitable to go ahead and put the money in the bank and let that draw interest or pay cash for it or run it through a lease? Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's walk through it slowly, okay. Joyce. You're saying if you have the money to pay off a car, I guess you mean a car loan. Uh, where we're in business. And we have a lot of equipment. Well, what we've done is put the money in the bank, although we're still leasing it. Would it be better just to go on and totally pay all those vehicles off and have them debt-free? Now, wait a minute. Hold hold, hold, hold. You said you're leasing the cars. There's no debt if you're leasing them. Well, it's a lease with a dollar in buyout. All right. So so you're not buying the cars. You're leasing them. Correct. Would it be better to go ahead and pay them off? And get out of the leases now or go ahead and fulfill the end of the lease. Well, what's the dollar payoff? A dollar. No, but I mean, if you pay them off now ahead of time, do you save anything? You would uh, save the interest that's accumulating. Isn't that right, Ryan? Well, no. On a lease, there is no interest. On a lease, you're paying lease payments. I, I think you're confusing purchasing on time versus leasing. I think I am also. In other words, let's say you buy yourself a Lincoln and put it in the company's name and you're paying for it over time. All right. Well, you've got a down payment and you're making principal and interest payments. And if you pay off that note ahead of time, then you stop the interest payments. Okay. If you go to another one right quick. Well, so I don't run out of time. If you're going to buy a house, let's go this route. I've got this basically the same question I'm asking. All right. If you're going to buy a house and you have the funds available to, to buy, pay the house off and pay cash for it, right? would it be more profitable to put the money in the bank, let it draw the interest, and get your benefits from the government, you understand what I'm saying, right. your taxes, or to pay the house off as you go into it? 
Okay, well, I think you confused the two issues. Let's straighten them out because it's a good question. I think your question is, should you pay cash for your house or finance it? Mm-hmm. Is that your question? My, my question is, should you pay cash for everything and, and not have any finances, any borrowed money whatsoever, what I'm trying to get to. Right. Well, it depends on your situation. Do you have high or low taxes? High taxes right now. If you have high taxes and if you purchase a home for cash, then you hurt yourself in two ways. Number one, you're not allowed any tax deduction for buying the house for cash, and you're not allowed any tax deduction for, uh, for making your payments as you go along because there are no payments. And under the present tax laws, the only two real benefits to you to help you reduce your taxes significantly at all are home mortgage interest and charitable contributions. Okay. So if you want to go ahead and reduce your taxes, that makes uh, a plus for uh, financing your home and making the int- and making the principal and interest payments over the next 30 years or whatever, and then you get a deduction. That does something else for you on the financial side. It frees up cash to be invested somewhere else to also pay the mortgage or accumulate for retirement. Now, having said all that, if you are in a low tax bracket and you don't need tax reduction, and if you have a hard time making ends meet, then for comfort, it'd be to your benefit to go ahead and pay cash for the house. What kind of income do y'all make? 175 plus. Well, if you make $175,000, are, are your living expenses below $175,000? Yeah. Okay. So you, don't have any pro- you wouldn't have any problem making mortgage payments. Yeah. All right. If you wouldn't have any problem making poor mortgage payments, then you, can, you get a double whammy by financing the house. Number one, part of your mortgage payments every month, about one-third are paid for by Uncle Sam. About one-third of every payment you make on your mortgage payments are going to be taken off of your taxes at the end of the year when you run the computations. And the other thing is, let's say you have a $175,000 home or a $200,000 home, you got and, and you put 20000 down and finance 160, that leaves $180,000 to put into a nice, safe investment that's also compounding for you for your retirement. And then when you go ahead and, start and, and take retirement, that's the time to, when your income drops, to pay off the house then. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I, I do, but I needed to hear it. If I can provide any more information for you, you can call the office at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We're here in Raleigh. I'll be happy to either send you some information or see what we can do to answer any more questions that you might have. Well, Joyce, good luck. <laughs> I, and it's I really, yeah, I really, I really like the way Joy, Joyce put all those questions because it's really a lot of people don't understand the differences, and I'm glad that she brought those up. Let's take another caller, Doug. Dan, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you this evening? Hi, Doug. I'd like to uh, ask you about reverse annuity mortgages. I'm doing some all right. inquiries for a father-in-law. Go ahead. Um, he is getting in some financial difficulty, and he and his wife, uh, their health is starting to decline, and they just need uh, right. a little extra help. I've, I've spoken with Linda a couple times, uh, and she's, she's referred me to some good books and like that, but I just came across this the other day and would like to know what you know about it or what you can tell me or... Well, how you feel about them? 
Well, I think they're great. They're fantastic. I just did one for a client recently. She was 72 years old, and we just got a reverse annuity mortgage for her. For the sake of the listening public, the reverse annuity mortgage is a guaranteed government program that works backwards from a mortgage. A mortgage is where you borrow money from the bank, and you then have that money, and you start making payments to the bank to repay your loan, whether it's 30 years or 15 years or whatever. A reverse annuity mortgage is a program in which instead of you paying the bank, the bank pays you. And it's designed as a federal program to help senior citizens. You do not have to have any income qualifications to qualify for it. It's not for poor people. It's for anyone who is over, what's the age, Linda? Is it 65? I believe you have to be 65 or older. I think the age limit is 65 is the first qualification. Second qualification is you have to own your own home, debt-free, can't have a mortgage on it. And the third thing is, uh, basically, you have your, well, that's really all you've got to do. Uh, now, there's a computation and a method of computation that works in such a way that you go and see a counselor. The counselor, by the way, is not going to approve or disapprove you. The counselor has no control over you. But the counselor is basically uh, going to let you know that if you want to tap the equity in your home, if you want to go ahead and take out one of these reverse annuity mortgages, then the bank will start paying you payments for the rest of your life. You never have to pay that loan back. Okay, what happens at the end? At the at the end of what? When you die? End, yeah, when I die. When you die, then the bank is going to go ahead and collect what you've borrowed because that's what's happened. You've been borrowing from the bank, but the bank hasn't been uh, making you pay them back. They will wait until you die, then they'll sell the house, or they'll let your heirs sell the house, and they will subtract what's been sent to you, and then if there's anything left over, that goes to the heirs. If there's nothing left over, then the bank lost, and you, the estate doesn't have to pay anything. He also owns another piece of property. Would it be, um, could he do something like go borrow money against the land? He's sort of real estate rich and, and cash poor. Why didn't he sell the land? Um, that is being considered. Um, How much is the land worth? Uh, tax value on it's just over a hundred thousand um, dollars. Oh my goodness, that's seven thousand a year income on a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but if but if he sells it now, uh -huh. what, isn't he going to get really popped for taxes? Depends. What's the cost basis? How much did he pay for it? Nothing. He inherited it. Well, then what he wants to do is to go ahead and do a charitable trust and dump it into a charitable trust, have the charitable trust sell it tax free, and then the hundred thousand sits in the trust, make himself the trustee of the trust. He controls it. And then the cash will flow back to him. He invests the money inside the trust, makes himself the income beneficiary, and he controls everything and pays no taxes. I was doing one of those today for a client, as a matter of fact. And if you'd like any further information, you can call at the office at 8727000, If you'd like to go ahead, I think you say you've already called Linda at the office? Yes, sir. Uh, why don't you call her again this week and set up an appointment, and I'll be happy to go ahead and uh, meet with you and go over the different features on both the land and on the reverse annuity mortgage. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks for calling, Dan. Bye. Bye-bye now. Dan brought up two very interesting topics, Linda. One, very few people know anything about the RAMs, the reverse annuity mortgages for senior citizens. They're very exciting programs. Yes, we have a client that did that, and she's got more cash in her, her pocket now. Because it's nice getting a monthly check every exactly. month. Exactly. It's like an annuity, right? Right. And number two, he talked about how to sell land tax-free. A lot of people in North Carolina own a lot of property and, are, and know they need income, but they can't think of selling it because of the capital gains tax. Uh -huh. And so doing that through 
the charitable trust or the double trust strategy is ideal. Well, in the world of retirement plans, there uh, is always information about 401ks and IRAs, and something uh, piqued my interest this week. What was that, Debs? Did you know that there are more there are more assets in IRA accounts than in 401k accounts? You know, that's an intriguing fact because you would think 401ks have far more, but we have well because you can put in more. That's right. I that, mean, that was my first thought. That's right. But you know? of course, what happens when people retire? To their 401k, Aha. they do generally what's called a rollover. A rollover, yes, indeed. Now, the main reason IRAs have surpassed 401ks right now is that investors are typically rolling over those 401k balances to IRAs when they switch jobs or retire. But it pays to keep an eye on your IRA because, to be sure, there could be good reasons and usually may be good reasons for choosing an IRA over your 401k, particularly if the alternative is a small company 401k plan with high fees and poor investment choices. But on the other hand, there may be other motivating factors at work, such as seductive sales pitches by a brokerage firm trying to get your money into a rollover IRA. And I thought that was really interesting because it's Usually, your 401k is going to be in some way associated with a brokerage firm who can buy and sell securities for the retirement plan that the employer has been kind enough to offer and let you as an employee be able to uh, participate, uh, defer income Mm -hmm. into. That's right. Reduce your taxes Mm -hmm. and save it until you need to take it out as a retirement income. However, that brokerage firm also knows when you're retiring and they have call center representatives of those very brokerage firms that have been managing the 401ks that are very often encouraging invest or employees to roll their 401ks into the IRAs of those brokerage firms. So there you went from uh, the 401k plan that was offered by the brokerage firm that your employer went out and researched, which might have been just fine. But you're now, if you roll out of it to the same one, even if you've left the employer, you're still at the same brokerage firm. Did you know that there was a recent study by the U.S. Government Accountability Office that said these call center individuals generally have very minimal knowledge of the of, of the employee, fin- right, 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 <laughs> of the but financial right. situation. Yeah, that's they don't right. your financial situation, but they're of recommending the you roll it over. That's so right. you have to be careful. Now, personally, I believe the thing to watch out for is the custodian. It, the the most important thing to be most aware of, perhaps. That's exactly right. If I, you're you new, know, cust- I'm sorry, Linda. Go well, ahead. I I just wanted to confirm also that. Uh, um, People need to to watch out because your IRA has fewer investor protections. And so the the fees can be higher and the returns lower, but you need to be vigilant about setting up and monitoring these accounts as well. And so the way to monitor it is to first begin by who is what we say the chicken house. Who is the custodian of the investment? That's so you, a really good point. Yeah. So when you roll the money away from the 401k, 
The 401k is not an investment. It's a container for investments, like a chicken house that protects your investments, which are chickens. If we use the analogy of the IRS being a wolf that wants to eat your chickens, then your chickens, your investments were in a 401k chicken house. So when you roll them over to an IRA, you have just moved to another chicken house. You've taken those chickens and you've moved them to another chicken house. That's right. But you have to be careful that that new chicken house is totally independent and doesn't have its own investments that they want to recommend. You want an independent IRA custodian. You want an IRA custodian that has no products that they are connected to or referencing at all. So that's the first thing to watch out for. Now, Linda, you touched on something else to watch out for. You touched on fees. And that's very important because many broker dealers face incentives to sell high fee investments in these IRA rollover accounts, setting up a conflict of interest. And some firms actually imply that there are no fees charged to investors when there may be fees for opening your IRA or closing your IRA, in addition to brokerage commissions, investment management fees, and other marketing fees. And so you have to be really careful because fees can greatly impact your IRA balance as the years go on. And because there are so many things to be considering, to be, you, you know, you've just mentioned, be careful of this, watch out for this. Linda pointed out two more good things. Because there are so many things that you have to be aware of and that you have to know. This is why I think a, a, another large segment of people who call us say, I'd like for you to look at my 401k while I'm still employed and then help me know my manager my uh, custodian and my investment products inside my IRA when I'm no longer at my retirement plan. These are very uh, complicated things that you need to know and a a financial planner can help you do that. That's right. I mean, that is right because that's what we do all day long. When clients call our office for appointments and meet with us, we are looking at, is your custodian of your IRA? Is it independent or are there products that you've got? I mean, fees are important, of course, but they can greatly impact the balance over the years. Do you know an additional 1% per year in fees over 40 years could actually cut the original IRA by about one-fifth? So we have to really recognize that fees can be significant. Now, what happens when they come to see us and they've already done it? Well, when they've already rolled it over, yeah. You mean okay? So we had the four hundred one k. When clients and come it's to been see, rolled it. over to a, a new I, a new IRA, right? Well, that's what we call the yard sale because so often we see these IRAs have been rolled over, and it's a complete yard sale with just a, a mishmash of stocks and mutual funds that investors have collected somewhere or another, and the quality of the IRA portfolios coming in varies dramatically. I. Uh, it is, uh, it's just a real mess. There's no allocation, no asset allocation at all, and uh, so often extremely expensive. So I was very happy to hear that there is uh, an alert out to the public. Keep an eye on your IRA. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, there was a very interesting article. And Doug, what what was the title of that article? 
The article I liked, it was how to avoid the seven deadly sins of investing. Anybody remember when they were in high school or college studying the seven deadly sins of the Middle Ages? <laughs> I do. What were they, Let's Deborah? Let's see. Um, there was lust, pride, sloth, envy, wrath, gluttony, and greed. All right. So those are the seven deadly sins that we may have studied from the the Middle Ages. The Wall Street Journal picked up on these seven deadly sins and called them the seven deadly sins of investing. I think it was a really cute article because it was so, so, so true. All right. Let's take them one by one. The first of the seven deadly sins is lust, chasing recent performance. So here, it's the seven deadly sins of investing. That's right. And the first one is the lust that is in investing, and that's chasing recent performance. Yeah, people tend to buy something that has done really well recently. Investor returns often lag those of the mutual funds that they invest in, since many people buy funds only after the performance begins to overheat, and then they turn around and sell them after the funds drop off. So everything, no matter what it is, it follows this when you are chasing recent performance. And I would say, while it's easier said than done, the best thing you can do to avoid this of the, this first of the seven deadly sins is try not to pay attention to daily news reports and advertisements <laughs> touting the latest popular investment. Okay. What's, what's the second deadly sin of investing? Uh, being overconfident. Pride, being overconfident. Overconfident, you know, investors, especially new ones, new to the game, frequently believe they know far more than they actually do about a particular investment. (laughs) Reminds me of a client we had a week or two ago. Boy, she was absolutely sure she knew everything about everything. And unfortunately, this, uh, this matter of pride, being overconfident that you know everything, this is really, uh, this is a real. Uh, it's it's a way to. to and we've to, seen to, that just in the in the you know in the Raleigh area. I mean, think about the companies who. Oh my goodness! You know, the employee is usually the last person to know. So when you get laid off, and you thought that that stock was invincible, and there was no place for it to go but up, there was no reason to not think the company wasn't going to do well. And it did. Oh, how many clients so, who worked for major companies came to us in right. that very situation? Now, the best way to deal with this sin of pride of being overconfident is for investors to keep their overconfidence in check by having an unbiased third-party financial advisor. If you can go ahead and accept the fact that you may be guilty of being overconfident, then trust a third-party advisor. All right, that's the second deadly sin. Pride, what's the third deadly sin? Sloth, overlooking costs. Very big one here. Investors often just don't pay enough attention to details. Consider their willingness to invest in expensive mutual funds that don't even perform well. Investors might be wooed by a fund manager's name or recent performances, but fail to look at the expenses of that fund before buying in. More expensive funds very often underperform less expensive ones. And I would say that in this case here, expenses are much more predictive of future performance because there's so much randomness in past performance. So watch the expenses. Don't be guilty of the third deadly sin sloth. And what's the fourth one? 
and envy wanting to join the club <laughs> now we get a lot of that and 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 that's that's probably one of the bigger of the seven. Oh yeah remember bernie madoff i mean that was how he that was oh. the way that he pulled his thing oh, on. Right, okay. Right, okay but also what about facebook do you remember the run-up to Facebook's initial public offering? Financial advisors said that they were slammed with phone calls from clients who wanted to get in on the stock before it's made its debut. The fact that there were a limited number of shares available seemed to drive investors to to a frenzy. You know, this, oh, the exclusive club. And even recently, I had a client call me. Oh, he wanted to leave his mutual funds to go into a managed account because he was told by this salesperson that you now qualify to go into something much more exclusive even though his mutual funds had averaged tremendous returns for 10 15 years so this matter of wanting to join the club the sense of exclusivity the desire to be part of an exclusive offering this often drives people to throw money into an investment that doesn't even fit into the overall goals of their portfolio okay we got four of the seven deadly sins lust pride Sloth and envy. What's the fifth seven de- of the seven deadly sins? Wrath. <laughs> Failing to admit failure. <laughs> Boy, am I angry that I'm losing money. But loss aversion, as psychologists call it, isn't hard to spot. Investors hold on to something even when it's losing. And I'm telling you, sometimes you just need to have the guts to listen to your financial advisor say, let's Cut bait and fish somewhere else. You have to be honest with yourself. And that, of and course. And if you can't be, that's where a financial planner can so expertly step in and say, you know what? I'm not emotionally attached. That's right. I'll help you not be caught in these things. Very good. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. So gluttony, living for today. Ooh, that's probably the number one reason that clients don't achieve financial independence. They're guilty of the sixth of the seven deadly sins, living for today. Let's face it, there's a lot of other activities that are more interesting than monitoring your 401k, like what's over there at the shopping center, you know, Uh, and a host of temptations to spend money on. And so investors' tendency is towards apathy. And this apathy is damaging when it comes to retirement savings. Actually, I read that 57% of U.S. servers, of U.S. workers who were surveyed, had accumulated less than $25,000 in savings and investments. 57% of the public has less than $25,000 accumulated. Why? Because they're spending everything. They go and spend and spend and spend. So if you're listening right now, Don't be apathetic about putting money aside. Make it a point to work with a qualified advisor, a certified financial planner that can assist you in helping you save for your future. And Deborah, what is the seventh? Agreed. Following the herd. Well, the problem here is that investors, when they pull money out, it encourages more investors to pull money out. So what happens is, anytime there is an exodus, the exodus encourages others and there's this following the herd and it's really driven by greed. We might think it's fear, it's really greed. So what I'm recommending, of course, and many of my peers, that it be crucial to have a detailed portfolio plan. 
and stick with that plan regardless of short-term events. If you've got a plan and you are comfortable with your planner and you have documented evidence that you have uh, uh, a, a reason to stay with this plan, then stay with it. Because if you follow the herd, you will go ahead and actually fall into the, the seventh of the deadly sins, greed. And these deadly sins of investing, they're, they're, it, while it's it's funny that, you know, it's also human nature that we can follow um, bad principles or bad um, bad lifestyle choices because of these, but it's also bad investing styles. And that's really what we're, we probably spend most of our time in our meetings is talking about what you can do to not have bad habits develop, but to create good ones. For example, monthly accumulating. The same right. way you set you set aside for your 401k, set it aside for yourself outside of a retirement plan. That habit alone will make a millionaire in a minute. Not in a million, not in a minute, but it will make a millionaire. <laughs> do you know what I'm it's, saying? I do though. know what you're saying, Deborah. That, Setting the plan. I'm saying when you make that decision in yes. one minute, you've you've made that decision to set aside money for your 401k or for your uh, your personal assets, you know, investments outside of your retirement plans. In one minute, you've just changed the outcome of your life by setting aside a little bit of money from that monthly income versus saying I'm going to wait and do something later. That's I a, agree with you, Dubs. It's like having a vision and a view of reaching the goal of financial independence. And and that's where the minute is. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden the veils are And that's the joy I think that we away. enjoy the most in the office is when every at the end of a call uh, a night on Sunday night and then to have the the messages that are waiting for us at the office or that come in tomorrow uh, in a holiday maybe more people yeah. will call tomorrow please exactly. feel free to call us tomorrow I will be in the office tomorrow if you'd like to speak to us and you've got the day off and you'd like to talk about your financial situation I will be around that's 919-872-7000 that's 919-USA 7000 it has been so enjoyable through the the years. It's been so enjoyable looking at the clients that came to us, hearing us on the air, and having that aha moment in the office. They speak of it. Yeah. yeah. Aha. That's when it began. And that moment, setting the plan and staying with it, Deborah, as you say, got them to where they wanted to be. And they escaped the greed they escaped the lust, mm-hmm. lust and the greed. gluttony, the That's not right. overspending. That's right. I mean, all of these things come in real life. Yes, you can't be this way in your own personal life, but in your investing life, you really don't want to be this way either. Instead, you want to re- replace that with a good habit. And I think that's what really a financial planner, at least that's what our joy is in the in the Raleigh Durham Chapel Hill area. Years and years of helping people achieve these goals and have good habits. Well, we've had fun and we're so glad that y'all have joined us and call us if you need help with financial planning. That's 919-872-7000 and our website is DougAndLinda.com. That's right, DougAndLinda.com and we're the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. We'll see you next week, same time, same station. Listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. 
Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com. And listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.